said, why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe Montgomery. You are a lion. You are a Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week. This week, we're going to be talking about once saved, always saved. It's that it's that Protestant doctrine that we, we find ourselves running into all the time. At least, I run into it all the time, whether it's through friends or loved ones or co-workers, people at grocery stores. We, we tend to find these... Uh, zealous evangelicals, Protestants who who hold to the doctrine that once they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that's it. They're done. They'll go to heaven no matter what. Now again, I am uh, not questioning their sincerity of heart or their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Not at all. In fact, I would applaud them, reward them for having such great faith. And I would take that as an opportunity to learn something for myself and for others. That we too must have great, deep, and effective faith. But that faith can be misplaced in the notion that once we accept Jesus, we are therefore by default saved. Because that's not true. We're going to be getting into that in greater detail here in a moment. That intro song is My God by Out of Darkness. And you can find a link to their site, plus the show notes with all the scriptural verses on my website at www.catholichack.com. Let's begin with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory and praise, and, and just glory be to you, Almighty God, as we come again 
sitting at your feet, studying your word, we ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to give us the knowledge that we so desperately seek and desire. We, we truly wish to study your word, to dive deep into it, to soak it up, to let it become part of our very existence, that we might share it with all the world, for it truly is the treasure we find, we find in a field, my Lord, and we desire to be instruments in the hands of the paraclete. So we pray for an end to abortion, for a unity of all believers in the one church which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ founded, for the conversion of sinners, for the poor souls in purgatory. May they find everlasting peace and happiness in the beatific vision of heaven. For bishops and priests and deacons, that they may serve Christ and be effective witnesses to the gospel for the glory of God and for his kingdom. We ask Our Lady to intercede for all of us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, are you saved? Do you have an, uh, an assurance of salvation? Of eternal security. Have you ever been asked this question? I have. Do you have conversations with friends or co-workers, as I said before, who assume this particular teaching? They assume that they will forever have this salvation, no matter what they do. I mean, is it possible to accept the sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice from the one mediator between God and man, the Lord Christ Jesus, who has freely given us this, this gift of grace, and then never to worry about whether or not we will ever go to heaven? I mean, is it possible for us to sin every single day and still make it to heaven? I submit to you that it's not. It's not possible at all. Although some Protestant groups will attest to this particular doctrine, which stems from the Protestant revolt. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1996 says, quote, Our justification comes from the grace of God. Grace is favor, the free and undeserved help that God gives to respond to his call, that he gives to us, rather, to respond to his call, to become children of God, adoptive sons, partakers of the divine nature, and of eternal life, unquote. Now, at the end of the day, that becoming adoptive sons is crucial in the understanding of this. And we'll get, come back to that. Hopefully, I'll have enough time to come back to that at the end. Now, Martin Luther, one of the Protestant uh, revolters, one of the uh, men who were behind the, um, the instrumental position of detaching countless millions of people from the one true church, he attributed himself uh, to this doctrine of once saved, always saved. One of the many things that he is uh, quoted as having written and said was, quote, No sin will separate us from the Lamb, even though we commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day, unquote. There are many other quotes that you can pull from Martin Luther. I thought that was one of the more descriptive ones that comes right down to it. That even though we commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day, we still cannot be separated from the Lamb 
from the one who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ himself. We are our salvation cannot be taken from us no matter what we do. Too many Christians, although well-intentioned and good-meaning, um, they attribute to this doctrine. They follow this doctrine. And I fear for their souls. Their faith in Jesus Christ is well-founded, but we can become lethargic in that faith. We can become uh, what the what's the word I want to use? We can become lazy in our faith. And as a result, we fall asleep at the wheel, so to speak. Now, let's get into some of the verses that seem to point to this doctrine of once saved, always saved. How about let's start in John chapter 3. Jesus says, starting in verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, many times the translation will go, unless one is born again, one cannot see the kingdom of God. And we actually uh, talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about Nicodemus coming in the middle of the night. And we talked about the double, the double entendre used here, this, uh, this born again, born anew, born from above, uh, what that meant. Many Protestants think that this is some uh, born-again experience, you know, the let go and let God, we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. So they'll quote this verse, John 3, 3. And how about let's move on to John 3, 16, that verse that we see written on posters in, in football games and elsewhere, quote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God." Unquote. That's pretty strong. That's very strong language. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It seems to suggest that once you are accepting, once you are believing in him, that you have this gift. Question is, can you keep it? Can you hold on to it even if you stop believing? The verse doesn't mention that. Let's move on to Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Unquote. Again, very strong language. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that verse seems to suggest that what if you're not in Christ Jesus? What then? Is there condemnation then? I mean, it just says that if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And we, of course, agree to that. We agree to all of Scripture. There is never a Scripture passage that, as Catholics, we don't agree to or believe in. But this verse does not say exactly, once saved, always saved, even though it's quoted quite often. Let's move on to Romans 8.31 and following. Quote, What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes. 
who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As is it, as it is written, For thy sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord." Unquote. Very powerful language. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. True. But the question becomes, but that's God loving us. Of course God can't be changed or altered. Once God loves you, that's it. But what about your actions? What if you stop loving God? God might not be able to be separated from you, but what about you separating yourself from Him? You have a role to play, do you not? I mean, why is there a hell? Because Satan said he will not serve, and all those who follow suit deserve hell. It is not God who sends them to hell. It is the person himself who sends himself to hell. Because I refuse to love God, I therefore by default am separated from him. That is the very definition of hell, the absence of God's presence which is hell. So this verse also, again, does not seem to suggest a once saved, always saved, although it is strong, strong language and is quoted quite frequently. Let's move on to a couple of instances in the Gospels where our Lord tells people that it is their faith that saves them. Let's look at St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, starting in verse 242, rather, and following. Quote, As he went, the people pressed round him, and a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years and could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the multitude surround you and press upon you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone forth from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came, trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Unquote. Some translations will say, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We can also read, for instance, about the healing of the blind man in St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, starting in verse 52 and following, or actually uh, backing up further than that. But uh, in verse 52, we read, quote, And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. Unquote. Powerful, powerful witnesses by our Lord himself. Your faith has saved you. It would seem that this woman with this flow of blood for 12 years, uh, 
who has now been healed, touching the very tassel from his garment, that tassel which symbolically was used to remind the, the man to follow the very commandments, the law of God. And she was, liturgically speaking, sacramentally speaking, unclean and could not be in uh, in, she could not enter in communion with God. She couldn't enter into the court of women in the temple in Jerusalem and pray and enter into communion with God. She was forbidden from touching anyone because of her flow. Her menstrual cycle would not stop for 12 years. 12 being a very symbolic number in the, the people of Israel and the Jewish people. And yet she touches this, this man, this Christ Jesus, this Messiah, this new King David, on this tassel. I mean, it's profound stuff. And she's healed. And God, uh, the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, perceives that power has gone forth and healed her. In essence, this verse points to the, the, the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because when a person of the, of the Jewish clan was um, sick or outcast because of uh, anything like this, uh, sacramentally, liturgically speaking, they would have to go to the priest to be declared clean. Then they could be allowed it to go back to the temple and be in communion with God. But here, she touches Jesus. She's declared clean in front of everyone. This points to not only his divinity, but also the fact that he is the new high priest. It's profound and amazing. But is it possible that she never had to worry about her salvation from that day on? I submit not. That's not the case. I don't think Scripture actually teaches that, although these verses are powerful indeed. We can look at other verses that would seem to suggest otherwise. Can we have a once and for all assurance of our salvation? I don't think so. Let's look at a common sense factor. Let's look at Adam and Eve there in the garden uh, in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. You know, both of these uh, persons, Adam and Eve, were created by God in a state of God's abiding grace. They did nothing to deserve this. They did nothing to earn it, to work for it. Nothing on their own allowed them to deserve God's abiding grace. Yet God, in his infinite grace and his infinite mercy and holiness, created Adam and Eve in this state of grace. Yet they did not last very long. In fact, we read in Genesis chapter 3 that they fell from that grace through disobedience and cowardice. They fell from that grace. And as a result, what happened? They were cast out of the garden. They were forbidden to eat from the fruit of the tree of life. They were forced to work in toil and sweat and pain and agony to bring forth not only the fruit of the ground, the bread that would sustain their life, their body, but also the fruit of the womb that would bring forth the next generation of human persons. And as a result of their sin and disobedience, we now inherit the concupiscent nature we are now geared towards sin. Thank you, Adam and Eve. So, for Adam and Eve, there is no once saved, always saved. Romans 11 talks about uh, the original sin being passed on. Let's look at the case of the prodigal son. This son who was living in his father's house, working in his father's farm, living in a state of his grace, uh, of his father's grace, did he last forever? No, he too falls away through sin and disobedience. 
through wanting his father to die so that he might get his. Runs away, squanders it all, ends up feeding pigs. What a defilement for a Jew, huh? And yet he comes back. And he is welcomed back, but he's not welcomed back until after he is repentant. We read about uh, in Luke 15, this, this difference. Luke 15, 32, where the father is speaking to the eldest son, quote, It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found, unquote. See the difference? He was dead, but now he's alive. He starts out alive, he dies, and then he comes back. So he didn't sustain that life perpetually. No, uh, you can lose it. So there is no once saved, always saved for the prodigal son. Now, do the scriptures teach that one could lose their salvation? Well, let's look at how we pray. St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 12. Quote, and Jesus said, And forgive us our debts, or some say sins, as we also forgive our debtors or those who sin against us. As Catholics say in the Our Father, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, here's a question. If we are once saved, always saved, then why do we pray this? What if I never forgive someone? What if, say, someone murders a loved one, and I never forgive that person? And I can tell you that I have truly and do every single day accept our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Yet, what if I never forgave someone who murdered, say, a loved one of mine? Would I be saved or would I not be saved? Jesus tells us that we must forgive or we won't be forgiven ourselves. Verse 15 of Matthew 6, quote, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Unquote. That's pretty powerful stuff. Is faith a one-time issue or is it possible to lose it? St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, starting in verse 21, quote, Brother will deliver a brother to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Unquote. Question. If we are once saved, always saved, then why does our Lord tell us explicitly that we must endure until the end? I mean, what if we don't endure? What if, as Martin Luther stated, we commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day? Won't we still inherit the kingdom of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sexual perverts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. Unquote. Question. Surely St. Paul, who wrote Romans 8, he believes in once saved, always saved, right? Well, let's take a look. He also wrote Philippians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, quote, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Unquote. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 and following? Quote, well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Unquote. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12? Quote, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Unquote. How about 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10 and following? Quote, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus with its eternal glory. This saying is sure. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Unquote. Again, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's God who is faithful. The rest of us, not so much. I mean, we separate ourselves from him through mortal sin. Read, for instance, 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. It is mortal sin that separates us from God that, as a result, we send ourselves to hell. How about 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 and following? Quote, As for you, always be steady, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already on the point of being sacrificed. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing." Unquote. So, St. Paul clearly shows that you have to work it out in fear and in trembling, that it is a process. You know, and St. Paul is, is famous for his understanding of he is, he is once saved or he is saved now, he will be saved in the, in the future, and he is working out that salvation all along the way. You know, it's this, it's this understanding that we must work towards this end, that we cannot become lethargic. We can't become lazy in this faith, because if we do, we fall from grace. Like Adam and Eve, like the prodigal son, but the good news is, like the prodigal son, there is the chance to come back, to be reinstated, to be forgiven, to be reconciled. Let's look at St. Peter and others, quote, uh, in St. Second. Uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 20 and following, quote, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overpowered, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. That's pretty powerful stuff right there. Clearly, he's speaking to believing Christians, professed believing Christians who lose their faith. The worst state is to have known it and then lost it than to have never known it to begin with. How about 1 John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25? Quote, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. 
If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. Unquote. So it's, it's enduring. It's abiding in him perpetually that makes the difference. It's when we fail to abide that we fall. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14 and following, Therefore, beloved, since you wait for these, be zealous to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the forbearance of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul, who wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, speaking of this as he does in all his letters, there are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, beware, lest you be carried away with the error of lawless men and lose your own stability, unquote. You can lose it. Be careful. Salvation is work, but it's a work with eternal rewards. And thanks be to God for giving us the grace that we did not earn, but through this grace we can work in the fields and in the family of our Father. So don't be caught sleeping with the, when the Master returns in the middle of the night, Mark thirteen thirty-five, or with you know, be caught without the oil when the groom comes back, Matthew 25, 1-13, or not having invested with the master's grace and his talents, Matthew 25, 26-29, or not having had charity on the least of his, Matthew 25, verses 41-46. Don't be caught saying, Lord, Lord, when he says to you, depart from me, for I do not know you. Read St. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and following. Until next time, may God bless you. From the Catholic Underground.